The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 164. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV, series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing The Vortex, the this Deep Space Nine episode. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, a couple of things I want to ask you. Please share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community of listeners and to reach more folks. And if you enjoy this, The Secrets of Star Trek, you might enjoy another uh, show that's on the StarQuest Network called American Catholic History. In about 20 minutes a week, you'll hear an interesting story about an American Catholic or, or a place, a Catholic place in American Catholic history. Check it out wherever you f- see podcasts uh, and at sqpn.com slash history. So, yes, this is a first season episode of Deep Space Nine, the Vortex. And Jimmy, could you give us a quick recap of what happens in this episode? There is an incompetent alien criminal from the Gamma Quadrant named Croden on the station, and Quark hires him to steal the equivalent of a 24th century Fabergé egg from some other aliens, but the the deal goes bad, and one of the aliens is killed. His twin brother, alien, therefore swears vengeance on Croden. While in Odo's custody, Croden starts telling him that he knows what Odo is, a changeling. And this is the first time we've heard this word Mm -hmm. on Deep Space Nine. Up to now, Odo's been a complete mystery. Croden tells Odo that he knows where there is a secret colony of changelings in a nebula on the other side of the wormhole. Sisko agrees to extradite Croden to his home planet, where he has been sentenced in absentia for his crimes. But while taking him back to his home planet, Froden tells Odo about the oppressive totalitarian society he's from and how the state police killed his family in the night. Then, Odo and Croden are attacked by the murderous alien twin seeking his revenge, and they are forced to flee into the nebula where there's supposed to be the secret colony of changelings. There, Croden reveals that there is no secret colony of changelings, but that he has a daughter the only member of his family he was able to save, in a stasis chamber in the nebula. They retrieve the daughter and revive her, and Croden saves Odo's life in the process, even though he didn't have to and could have just left and escaped. Eventually, Odo tricks the murderous, vengeful alien twin into blowing himself up using a pocket of dangerous gas in the nebula, and sensing that Croden is not as bad as he thought, Odo then releases Croden and his daughter to a group of passing Vulcans so that they can be taken back to Vulcan and begin new lives. He plans to uh, lie to Croden's own people, saying that he was killed when they were attacked in the nebula. And presumably, 
He'll also lie to Cisco and wipe all of the contrary data on the runabout's <laughs> memory banks so that the uh, so that Cisco and the Bajorans will never know what he actually did. <laughs> right. now, the end. No, yeah. no, he didn't lie. He dissembled. He dissembled, yes. Which means to lie. <laughs> Which means <Yeah>. lie. <laughs> so uh, the actor who plays Croden, by the way, Cliff DeYoung, uh, is he auditioned for the role of Cisco, which would have been a very different Deep Space Wow, <laughs> yeah. R- relaxed California surfer dude, Cisco. Yes. Uh, Clifford DeYoung was a, actually, he was a singer for a band in the 60s. They really didn't have much of a hit, but then he went off and, did, yeah, did other yeah, things. But then he became an actor. He's been into everything. He's been done a lot of a lot of guest uh, spots. Yeah. Somebody we'll see later, too. Uh, Randy Oglesby played the, the, the twins, the Mirdorn twins. Yeah, uh, he later plays Degra in Enterprise from the right? Zindi arc. Yep. So he comes yep. back much later. But yeah, yeah, the Miradorn twins were played by one actor, which I yep. I got to say they did a pretty good job early on in in you know not making it obvious that it was, you know, CGIing the actor and yeah, I, you know I, I thought it was screens. actual twins that played it or you know at least yeah. cut two guys that were close enough that they could make them look like twins. Right. For 1993. Yeah. 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 And and we should explain, and this is kind of actually nice, I like this, that the it, twinned Miradorns, apparently they're born as twins, mm-hmm. and they are, which is like the normal inhabitants of the planet Winath in the Legion of Superheroes. Mm. But, so twins are normal, and they're, cons- and apparently identical, and they are um, considered a complete being together. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you kill one of them, it they feel incomplete and really bad and and want to kill you back. <laughs> right, right. It's more than just like you've killed my brother, prepared to die, but it's like you've or, you've or, cut off and, my and, arm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and apparently, even I mean, the suggestion is even more than what identical Earth twins would feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This and is- admittedly, if you're if you're an identical Earth twin and someone kills your twin. You could feel pretty bad, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but apparently, it's even worse if you're a Miradorn twin. Well, it, it's it, I I got the implication that there was all, like a psychic link between the two, right? Because yeah, some, yeah, some kind of mental link between the two twins, but they they don't really explicitly say that. That's just kind of yeah. what I got the impression, right? So this is an Odo episode. This is not a Cisco or anybody else. I mean, this is like I think I don't think Quark too. Yeah, yeah. yes, Quark right. Odo's the A plot, Quark's the B plot. Mm-hmm. Right, right. We don't see much of, I'm not even sure that if Cisco um, uh, gives in it. Yeah, everybody gets a line because everybody's got to have a line. Yeah. Uh, but they get like a line for uh, many <laughs> of them. Uh, it's interesting. So we start in Quark's bar and Odo is acting very paranoid. He's suspecting Quark of plotting with the Mirador and he sees the newcomer from the Gamma Quadrant is suspicious for not talking about his origins. But the funny thing is, He's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's like he's he's acting paranoid, but he's right to be paranoid because yes, there is uh, something going on but with all of these people. On the other hand, I sympathize with Quark because uh Odo is a cop and he's just sitting in here watching people and <laughs> yep. taking up space at the bar, which is prime real estate in a bar. Exactly. Yep. And and it's like, dude, you're creeping out the customers. Order a drink, play the tables, or get out. Yep. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. I thought that was entirely reasonable, of course. It, yep. it was. We also hear uh, Morn's name for the first time. This is the first time they mention his name is Morn, which, of course, comes from Norm from Cheers. He's the Norm yes. character from Cheers. And we find out how much he talks, you know, although he never right. says a word on air. Supposedly, he, he never shuts up. That's one of my favorite uh, bits from DS9 
is that they've made Morn into this character who never shuts up, yet we never hear him say a line ever in the... Like, there's a lot of different shows have had characters like that who they have this trait that we Mm -hmm. never get to see, this, like, ubiquitous trait, and I I like that. Frequently unseen characters like Mrs. Columbo that you always hear about but never see. Yes, yes. Who was also Kate Mulgrew. Oh, that's (laughs) Oh, no way. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. They they launched a spinoff series called Mrs. Columbo with Kate Mul- a very young Kate Mulgrew oh, that's that's funny. as Mrs. Columbo, and it was so out of keeping with the Peter Falk Columbo series that they quickly banished the fact she was Mrs. Columbo and changed the name of the very short-lived series to Kate Loves a Mystery. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> that's oh that ouch! <laughs> Thankfully, it didn't kill Kate Mulgrew's career. <laughs> Well, and, and, and actually speaking of Norm from Cheers, we never saw his wife in the series. There was one point where she was going to be yeah. revealed and she got hit with a pie, so you didn't actually see her face. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Those are fun little bits that they used to do in TV shows. So anyway, back to this episode. <laughs> um, Quark, Quark has got this plan. He's going to be buying this, as you said, Jimmy, this uh, 24th century Fabergé egg from the Mirador and twins in a hollow suite. And Odo is onto it, and he disguises himself as a glass on this tray that Rom is to to bring to the hollow suite with drinks. The fifth glass is only four people going to be in the hollow suite, and Cork immediately and they don't they don't say it right off the bat, but Cork immediately recognizes there's a fifth glass. There's no reason for there to be a fifth glass on this tray, and so he starts dissembling dissembling. You got me saying it now. Yep. Uh, this. Uh, to the mirror door, and oh, you know, uh, it, what is the 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 ownership of this? It's not stolen, is it? I I can't buy it if it's stolen. And yeah, he's he's a little more subtle than that. It's yeah. like actually, there's been a snag because the purchaser wants to know, you know, the provenance of this artifact because a similar one was recently stolen two light years from here. So, do you have a bill of sale? Yep. <laughs> right. And the the mirror door, like, uh, you know, it's stolen. They didn't they didn't say it right off the bat. But the, and that that's when Croden shows up with a, a Ferengi phaser and tries to steal it from them, and it's going to turn out that that Croden and Quark were in cahoots to stage this theft so that they don't actually have to buy it from the Mirdorn. Which, given the reputation they talked about, the Mirdorn being extremely violent and vengeful, is kind of dumb on Quark's part. Frankly, it seems like a bad <laughs> idea. Yeah, well, it is. <laughs> so. uh I have to point out also, so Rom gets a few bits in this. Oh, and- but, but then Quark, uh, Odo ceases to be the glass. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and arrests everybody. Yep. It, it, I, that was interesting, by the way. It, they, they break the, the tray of glasses, and Odo, quote-unquote, breaks into shards and reassembles, yep. which is, I thought was interesting that he was able to do that. I don't know if we've seen that before, where he's in bits and pieces and reassembles uh, like a Terminator. Now, if he was a super cop, he would have thought ahead about why would there, Quark might notice there are five classes, and when he became the fifth class, he would have just taken one of the others off the tray. Yeah. Right. Yes, that might have been a better idea. Uh, Rom in this episode, we've seen Rom before in this first season, but Rom is starting to morph into the Rom that we know and love, the the Mm -hmm. outspoken idiot. You know, yeah. sort of Rom, the, the kind he's, of the dummy. He's l- less murderous than last time we saw him. Exactly. <laughs> yes. uh, like he kind of almost blows Quark's cover by you know saying to Odo, "How dare you suggest my brother set up this robbery with, when it hadn't been su- actually suggested out loud yet?" Yeah, exactly. And Quark's like, "You idiot, be quiet." 
<laughs> so that was that was a good. I, I'm glad to see Rom becoming the Rom we know. Um, but you, as you said, Jimmy, Croden recognizes Odo as a changeling, and it's the first time we hear this, mm-hmm. and begins to weave this tale to kind of draw Odo into his his confidence and to kind of um, you know tell him if you only bring me to this planet in my you know near my home planet. I can reveal to you this colony of changelings. And he tells them enough truth that in fact, we do later find out that the changelings were persecuted and did go, go live in a plant, a rogue planet in the middle of a nebula, not this one. It was the Omarian nebula, Mm -hmm. but, but it's interesting that he kind of weaves enough of the truth in to, to, to to make it plausible. Well, this is the first uh, confirmation we have that the the changelings are known in the gamma quadrant that it wasn't just a right. uh just you know he odo was from somewhere and no one knew about him but that they were actually known of course they develop it a lot more as the dominion and everything but at least right. this is the point where they they're at least known they're heard about they're rumored you know that, that this isn't just a uh yeah they're they're out there somewhere right also he's got a piece of physical proof to back up mm-hmm. part of his story because he's got this locket with a stone in it that changes shape and when uh, Odo has Brashear analyze it, it's like, okay, this is sort of biological, but sort of crystalline. And the only thing I've seen like it before is you. So right. the, this could be kind of a distant cousin for you. Right. Hmm. Or Yeah. It, at least or originates with your people somehow. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Armin Shimmerman, who plays Quark, I, I saw he, him discussing this episode. And one of the things he said was he didn't like the fact that Quark essentially gets away with murder in this, the murder of the Miradorn. He says mm-hmm. that, this is a quote from him. I had this chat with Rick Berman, the showrunner, about whether we went over the line by having Quark participating in a really high crime. I thought so, and that might be a little dangerous for the character and for the show. I, it means he can get away with murder, which is not what I think the show's about, and it also makes somewhat of a fool of Odo for that to happen under his nose and let it get by him. And Cisco, for that matter, lessens their character as well. I don't know that I took it that way. Mm. When Croden comes into the hollow suite with the Ferengi phaser, he's clearly incompetent. Mm-hmm. And it's because of every... And, the, and then Odo confuses things even more by showing up, and we get this suddenly, unexpectedly startling everybody, and with no backup. Mm-hmm. And we so the re, in, ensuing fight is one that I don't think anybody any of these characters planned. Yeah. And so I wouldn't view this as, uh, as Quark getting away with murder. Quark had a risky plot with an incompetent ally that went bad and someone got killed, but there's no deliberate attempt to kill anybody here. Although if this were an American court, he, and he were being tried, it would, the charge would include murder because yeah. if you com- if someone dies in the, in your commission of a crime, that's con- usually con- you know, considered m- murder, uh, sec- I think mm-hmm. second degree murder. Um, yeah, but, so technically. but morally, it, when we say court gets away with murder, that yeah. implies an intentionality that was not right. present here. That's true. That's true. And it does show the deviousness of Quark that he is willing to take whatever steps are necessary for profit. I mean, it, he, right. he, he isn't like, you know, again, we talk about Ron being kind of a bumbling idiot and Quark isn't. He's not always the best at planning his escapades but he uh very much is you know devious enough to to do things that could potentially lead to murder right right it's the quark's dark side i mean he we we get the 
the kind of uh, light, you know, sparring with with uh, Odo, and we get him b- befriending various members of the crew. But there is a real dark side to Quark that persists throughout the series. And again, I think that's one of the things that makes Quark an interesting character is he's not all one or the other. It's it's also more prominent. The darkness is more prominent in these earlier series mm-hmm. in these earlier seasons, both for Quark and for Rom. And they like a lot of characters, they get humanized over time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we you mentioned how Cisco was going to give up Croden to Croden's own people because, you know, he was they said they demanded him back for his his crimes. And I thought it was interesting that Cisco was so quickly willing to give up Croden to his own people and not put him on trial on DS nine. Like why should the Rakari laws supersede those of the Federation or Bajor? Because this is a first contact situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you're going to have, if you botch first contact, it can lead to much worse things. So I would make the same call. I would yeah. say, okay, if they're insisting on getting him back, it's more important that we get both of our races off to a good start mm-hmm. than um, botch future relations with this entire people or maybe even get a war started by ignoring their laws over a single individual. Yeah. It is interesting that he's willing to give him back, knowing that it's capital punishment, that uh, yep. the, the Federation didn't seem to be the type of place that would extradite someone to a capital punishment planet. Yeah, and I and again, that could be because it's a first contact situation. They might have handled it differently if it was someone they had established relations with. But if you, you know, really buy the relativistic cultural nonsense ideology that the Federation <laughs> has, then you're going to have to respect other cultures having things like the death penalty. Even if you don't have it and approve of it in your culture, you're going to have to respect them because they're not you and you have a, an, an absolute cultural relativism ideology, except when it's inconvenient. Right. So... Another thing I found interesting in this episode was that Croden's stories about his own innocence from his own people, you know, for his crimes, we never get confirmation of whether he, his story that whether he really did, you know, was relatively, was just a victim of an oppressive government or whether he actually did something that deserved punishment. I I think the answer is in the middle. Um, On the one hand, he's incompetent. Yeah. You know, as we see on the station. but. He apparent he is he has committed many crimes on his home world and he admits that and his home world says it. Now he also says that every tr- crime is treated harshly on his home world. So some of his crimes may not have been that big from our perspective. Right. And it's implied that one of them is political dissidence, that he asked mm. too many questions about the order of things right and so then they break in and in the middle of the night and kill his two wives and then we do get confirmation and he goes on the run and presumably commits other crimes but then he when his daughter is revived from the stasis chamber he's willing and this is a very interesting trait for him he's willing to go back and accept death for what he's done Mm-hmm. So he's not trying to get out of that. He's not protesting against it. He's willing to accept it. But his daughter then says, why? You didn't do anything but try to protect us. Mm-hmm. And so at least on that first night where his family was attacked by the security thugs, all he did was like try to defend the family. Now, that may itself have been considered a crime. Mm-hmm. But you know, morally speaking, he's 
I think he's in. He's kind of in a middle zone. He's not. Yeah. He's not a white hat or a black hat. Now, now, what he probably really did was he stepped into the white zone and fell on the the newly planted flowers. And, you know that was that was. <laughs> uh, speaking of Cisco, uh, by the way, uh, taking him back to his planet, uh, they, there is a a continuation of the science fiction TV trope of. Uh, I'm visiting a planet and I speak to the entire planet as a whole when I hail yeah. the planet. Uh, and I just, I always think about like if someone showed up at earth and wanted to hail, you know, like communicate with earth, like it, it's not necessarily true that every planet is one government with one, you know, well, spokesman who can address the individual. I've come to bring back Croden to your planet. And everyone on earth goes, who? Well, yeah, and the, the guy he talks to introduces himself as some kind of local governor or something. Yeah, like a right. prov- provincial rep or whatever. Yeah, it, it's it's like the southern province or something like that. So it was it wasn't the the entire planet. So you could imagine that yeah. would be like I've come to bring bring back uh, Bill Gates after he's committed a massive crime, and so the president of the United States responds, you know, something like that, or yeah. the president of Australia, or the president of Botswana, yep. or whatever. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Yeah, like some guy from another province. I don't know who you're talking about. Just take him back. <laughs> no, 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 wait, wait. I want oh, you, oh, you need to talk to that guy instead, you know, you, you <laughs> yeah. the, the bureaucratic sw- switching around. What I found interesting, or one thing I found interesting about his home planet, Rakhar is its name, is that they apparently don't want contact with off-worlders. So they're kind of xenophobic, and that can go along with being a totalitarian dictatorship. You know, North mm-hmm. Korea doesn't want a lot of people waltzing in and out of there. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it, the the governor dis, now this could be an act, but the governor displays a singular lack of interest in the federation. It's like I don't know who you are. I don't want to know. I just want this guy back. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good strategy when you're contacted by aliens. You <laughs> you you want to learn as much about them as possible. That doesn't mean inviting them down. Mm-hmm. But it, it, learning about them, yes, immediately, please, because you need to have a threat assessment of them. Right, right, right. You have are, no are idea they, how powerful or aggressive the Federation is. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine if it was the Klingons instead? Oh, you don't want to talk to us? Then we will conquer you instead. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was interesting that the, the detail, by the way, that it was Klingons who found Croden and gave him a ride into the Alpha Quadrant. I'm trying to think of how that would, would have gone. Uh, what would Klingons have thought of Croden? <laughs> I, just, I just can't really picture like them like yeah. hey you want to ride <laughs> it's it's hard for it's hard to imagine him earning their respect yeah yeah, yeah. like this pathetic uh creature let's throw him in the in the back so he can we'll drop him off at ds9 uh yeah that was kind of weird there is a a fun little one-line tribute to leonard mccoy in this episode where oh yeah odo's trying to fly the the runabout in yep. battle and says I'm a security chief, not a combat pilot. Which I think yeah. Is nice. <laughs> and I like the fact that they have that, not just because of the McCoy reference, but because it's true. Mm-hmm. And we shouldn't have characters who are super competent at everything. They should have yep. their areas of specialization. And so I like them having showing us yeah. the limits of what Odo is good at. And he's not good, as at least at this point, as a pilot in a combat situation. Right. right. Which is a complaint I often have with Star Trek. But I get why you do it from a TV production point of view. But they on should the be pilots, hand, yeah. <laughs> like helmsmen. On, <laughs> on the other hand, if well, unless the computer just is competent enough to do it all, right? Mm-hmm. But including you know stochastic uh, battle tactics, where you introduce a random element so that the uh, opponent's computer can't predict what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
if you're sending a guy on an extradition uh, mission to a another planet and you already know there are people looking to kill you who can, who are outgun who are outgunning you that's kind of a dumb plan to begin with <laughs> yeah. you know send a send a guy who's not a a, a pilot a combat pilot with an underprepared ship on this mission where you're so concerned about the the twinned miradorn vengeful twin attacking with his superior ship that you're actually hiding behind another ship going through the wormhole as you launch the mission it's like Guys, you're asking for this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Do you know? Do you know what kind of series you're in? Of course, the Miradorn are going to find him. Right. <laughs> and there is a runabout. I don't know if they've introduced it at this point. The runabout that is more heavily armed than the others, but it, I don't, it might it might not have been introduced so far in the series. Yeah, but, but you send a flotilla or wait or do something. Right. You no, know, you you don't. You send the competent. You don't just send off the the local constable and <laughs> and the prisoner. Yeah with no resources when you know they're under threat. Right, right. We we have not yet introduced the whole it, uh, Odo has to regenerate every so often in this, but, you know, if the, if the trip goes on at, all, at any length, you know, Odo is regenerating and leaving this guy unattended. Like, you send two people. Why not send two people? <laughs> but yeah. I know for story reasons. I get the, the for story reasons why we did that. Having said that, this is a fairly complex plot for yeah. this episode, and it's got a lot of stuff I like in it, and it's a lot better than many other first season DS9 episodes, yeah. including one we're going to get to two cycles from now. Oh, uh, I'm trying to. I, I, I we're don't coming know up. One. We're coming up on the storyteller. It's not oh. next one, but it's the one after that. Yeah. Yeah, that's ouch. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you mentioned the the scene where. They're on the the planetoid. They've released Croden's daughter. They're the Miradorn is attacking the planet, and Odo gets knocked out. Okay, we've. We, how does a changeling get a concussion? I oh, don't know. I know. <laughs> when when the rock falls on him and hits him in the shoulder, I'm like, should that do anything to a changeling? I mean, <laughs> it's split into broken glass, but apparently he can he can't get hit by a rock. <laughs> I know. It's like, ah. Uh, so, um, also, Odo's naked all the time. And just let's just put that out there. And <laughs> Odo is like naked all the time, and that's kind of weird. He is, he is naked all the time, but he has no no reproductive organs, so yes. it's okay. Yeah, yeah it's, he's yeah. You just have to accept it's not weird. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so when he's knocked out, there is this moment. It's it's I kind of like this the directing moment, or I don't know if it was scripted. Where Croden, for a moment, considers leaving Odo behind, mm -hmm. you know, taking his daughter and getting in the runabout and running away and leaving Odo, and he stops and saves Odo. And I like that as a character development moment. Like, yeah. that reveals who Croden really is in that time. And, you know, character is revealed in a moment when you, the, such decisions are made. And that's a big justification for Odo letting him go later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that that is good because once they've given him the daughter, it's going to be really hard to do the yeah. I'm going to go off and be fried in the electric chair, but have exactly. a nice life, honey. That's <laughs> not that's not the kind of thing they're going to do in no. an, in a Deep Space Nine episode right. at this stage. <laughs> Later on, maybe in season five <laughs> or six, that could happen, but not now. Uh, yeah, and it's Croden's daughter who convinces Odo finally to help them. It's her relationship it's the way she 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 talks to odo the the way she is you know he sees him and her together that convinces him to let them go um and uh 
By the way, Odo smiles for the first time in the mm-hmm. series in this one. And Rene Aubuchonois see, saw this as a significant character moment for Odo to smile. That it, it, this is a progression in the character of Odo to who he will eventually become. So I think that I thought that was interesting, well, especially when he's talking about going home and you know, kind of recognizing yeah. first and foremost that's DS Nine, but then also finding his people wherever they might be. Yes. Um. So. Uh, overall, I agree with you, Jimmy. This is a, I like this episode. It was a good, a good episode, and uh, above par for the first season. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah. It mostly because of the character moments in this, and I, I really like that. That it, it did that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, fa- I'm, 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 I'm with you on that, Dom. You know, the, that was the biggest thing I wrote down is you know character advancement. There was you know so much character. You know, again, Quark, Rom, even Morn. You know, at least we get yeah. kind of his his story. Uh, and Odo, especially, you know, get to to see these characters in a in a, a better light and start to recognize things that we're, we'll see much further on in these characters and mm-hmm. their in kind of their their seed form right now. So yeah, it, it, I, I enjoyed this one as well. It's the sort of story that you know when we said, oh, how interesting could a could a show that's set on a space station that doesn't go anywhere? How good interesting could it be? But mm-hmm. this is the idea: is the people that pass through that change well, things. Yeah, it doesn't have to be wagon train. It can be yeah. gun smoke, yeah. which is what this is. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's a good way of putting it. So, Father Corey, any last nope, notes on this episode? It. Okay. Jimmy? I For me, the complexity of the plot is one of the things. I mean, I like the character moments, but I also want to note that the plot here is actually quite complex. Mm-hmm. When I do the summaries, I write them out in advance so that I'm as concise as possible and make the points I want to make. And... And this one required a couple extra sentences to explain because of the complexity of it, because the A plot and the B plot, you know, with the with Croden, he and Odo, that's the A plot, and then the B plot involving Quark and Croden and Odo and the Miradorns is they're so tightly related to each other. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll have A plots and B plots that kind of live in separate universes. They're they're happening at the same time, but they don't really interact with each other. Like the awful Enterprise B plot, let's have Hoshi find out what Malcolm's favorite oh, food yeah. is. Oh, terrible, <laughs> and you know, kill a bunch of the episode with that, even though it has nothing to do with the main main story. And then at the end, oh, he likes pineapple. Yeah, big deal. <laughs> Here, the A plot and the B plot are tightly interwoven with each other, mm-hmm. which makes it more complex and also a little trickier to summarize. So it's an yeah. interesting challenge. There, there was an interesting little bit here that uh, a little behind the scenes. The, the episode's original idea was based on a 1953 movie called The Naked Spur. And they they actually hired the writer for that movie hmm. to to do the teleplay for this one. So it's kind of interesting. That they that connection, Sam Rolfe, who was a well-known uh, screenwriter at the time, so I thought that was interesting. Hmm. All right, so I think that should do it for our discussion today. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Cody T, Rebecca C, Kenya S, George S, and Timothy V. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. 
So that's it from us. What did you think of the Vortex, uh, this DS9 episode? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Voyager episode, The Gift. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thanks, Tom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you. Live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, really, Rom, five glasses for four people. <laughs> <laughs>